try to descend into the primal uh, womb matrix of the earth. But he doesn't. Uh, well, he, he, he wanted to, though. He, he was going to try. And uh, so uh, by not doing it, that was just the refusal of the call by proxy. Welcome, Mega Faithful Congregation, to this, the seventh reading from the Book of Mega Drive. Today's episode is Brave Battle Saga. The radical Mega Drivers joining me today are. It will soon be Shrug, but for now, it's Rudy. Hi, it's me, Ramona. Hi, I'm Kania, and I just lost two levels because I haven't saved enough in this game. I'm your host, Automatic Tigris. Together, we will explore four increasingly challenging zones. The Blast Zone, the Fantasy Zone, the Labyrinth Zone, and the Death Egg Zone. First up, as always, the Blast Zone. podcast uh we talk about genesis games and well just sega games in general um but for now genesis games yeah get on get on mario hey mario you walking across the street mario get out of here what's with this split screen and mario kart sonic can go really fast hey mario why don't you get back on the train and go back to new york mario i guess this was yeah mario we don't want you here Oh, Mamma Mia, my games aren't as good as Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Mario. <laughs> now get out of here. Oh, Mario, you only like official licensed Nintendo product? <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo's seal of quality. If it's such a seal of quality, how come you put it, it on, uh, I don't know, Boogerman? Earth Defense Force on the Super Nintendo, which has that banjo guy on it. That one. No, that's Phalanx. That's, that's Phalanx. And it's also pretty Same. good. Different. Yeah, it's Phalanx different. is okay. Different games. I like okay. Phalanx. Yeah. There's multiple banjo guys. It's cool. I guess Nintendo's <laughs> pretty cool. I'm coming around on this. Yeah. Traditionally, here in the Blast Zone, I guess we passed through the Burn Zone for a minute. <laughs> where we gave our five minutes of hate for Nintendo to get ourselves hyped up for this cast. This is where we, we talk about the feel of the game and, and the gameplay and our experiences actually playing the game, like, as a game. The physic- the mechanics of it, the structure of the game, that kind of thing. Well, I think we should start this game off by me, uh, by ruining the title, uh, which is, uh, has, has, the, the, there's two ways of writing the name. Uh, for, for the Steam release, it was brave battle saga but we, th- there's also uh several places on the internet that have it as barver battle saga or uh the the romanization that's not the right word for chinese but the english alphabet characters for 
the name has it as Tai Kong Sangshi. Tai Kong Sangshi sounds pretty good. I, I don't know what it means, but I, I, I like it. It's better than Barver Battle Saga. <laughs> and of course, sometimes it's known as Final Fantasy because this game is not really an official game release. Um, not originally. Didn't get that Sega seal of approval. See, this is what happens when you don't put the Sega seal of approval on things. So this was developed in Taiwan and found some success there and especially found a lot of success in Russia, from what I understand. And like a lot of these ROMs, eventually ended up in the United States in giant dumps of ROM sets. And that's how it became known. And now today, you can just buy it on Steam, apparently from people who own the rights now, Pico Interactive. What a wild journey from a bootleg Taiwanese game that's popular in Russia and known as Final Fantasy in Russia to official Steam release owned by someone who's Pico Interactive. I don't know. That rules. (laughs) This is, well, it's not a JRPG because it's not from Japan, but it's an RPG in the style of JRPGs, most especially Final Fantasy and um, Breath of Fire. Those seem to be its two biggest influences, although <laughs> there's some some secret of mana, or, well, trials of mana, or Seiken Densetsu, to use the Japanese names of them. It's, it's a big hodgepodge of bits and pieces, some altered more, some altered less. Uh, portions of the code were apparently scrounged from different places, uh, to create a package that honestly feels pretty coherent, uh, despite its origins. But just because it's pretty impressive on that respect didn't necessarily mean, uh, we enjoyed playing it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, root. It's very, it's very, like, of the, the template of, well, what do you do in a JRPG? Well, first you start in your hometown, and you have to do some trial, and then, uh, for some reason you gotta leave your hometown... And uh, then you gotta find these crystals, and uh, these crystals break, uh, because the world's gonna come to an end, I guess. But you can save it. And you also have to rescue, like, a girl who was wrongly accused, you have to have- you meet a tomboy princess, you know, if you've played a- you know, if you've played three JRPGs, you've seen most of this, but honestly, it's- it's kind of- pleasant? Like, are there especially- I don't think, especially on Genesis, that there's a lot of, or, well, JRPG-styled games in this precise mold. A lot of the Sega console JRPGs were kind of odd in their own ways, from my experience of them. Call me out on my bullshit if I'm wrong about this. No, no, there's not a lot of FC- there's not level C level RPGs. Oh, no, I, I was just saying they're weird in the sense that they're good. I was just making a joke. Please continue, ready. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, I mean, that's a long same point. Is there, there isn't a lot of uh, uh, C-rank or JRPGs on uh, Mega Drive Genesis. Just, yes. just, just, almost, just, you know, almost brand, brand X. I mean, this isn't really describing what the game is, but... I mean, yes! Uh, uh, you, you, go, you go to... Uh, you, you uh, leave town uh, and then you fight random battles. Uh, and I, I don't know. I feel like the discussion would be so much more boring if we just described what the game is. Yes! <laughs> I think it's, it's interesting to describe 
where the game is a little bit different from the standard JRPG template, which is very few places. But like the main thing I would notice right away is that the um, the enemies are on the world map, which you didn't see a ton. It, Earthbound Chrono Trigger, but it, in that era, it wasn't super common. Um, so that's well, neat. this game wasn't from that era is the thing. This game is a few years after that. It's, yeah, but it's um, not removed from it. If we're talking 96, 1990, yeah. that at least... I guess again, that's true. This, again, this is bootleg information, and uh, who and there's very little fact-checking to be able to be done. Yeah, we found a whole lot of facts and not a whole lot of citations and not a whole lot of ways to check, unfortunately. Yeah, um, but yeah, the over- enemies on the overworld map is pretty unusual for this era. Uh, but at the same time, it uses a magic system not dissimilar from Final Fantasy I, in that you go to shops and purchase spells. Uh, and then you just got the spell in your inventory. I, it doesn't seem like there's a limit to how many spells you can buy. You can just buy as many as you want for everybody and just give everybody all of the spells. You've got equipment, you've got potions, you've got items, all, all the usual stuff you associate with this kind of game. And you got a lot of enemies that are mostly the same few enemies with different palettes. The identity of it comes from Taiwanese and then later the Russian markets, and uh, it very much has the DNA of, of NES games, uh, or fa- of Famicom games. Uh, it doesn't yeah. really... If you said, oh, it's or, oh, it's called Final Fantasy in Russia, again, this is, has nothing to do with the actual <laughs> mechanics, but, but... Absolutely uh, nothing, except for some vague comparisons that can be made to final fantasy one with the spell system it also it has a structure of of not of not necessarily a final fantasy but of every other famicom jrpg of the time it it even takes the active time battles from like final fantasy four and on which i personally find intolerable but um yeah it's 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 very much of its time and you know it's it's kind of interesting in that way as an artifact We'll talk about that. How 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 uh how crunchy and and is there any friction to uh waiting for a bar to fill up? I, I like that in the sense that I like the the sort of sensation of like timing that can be built around that, like kind of making you pay attention and and drawing your focus onto the game, which is especially true in this case because you can't set it to pause when you're in a menu. Uh, enemies invisible uh, timing bars are filling up uh, even as you're selecting what spells and items to use in a fight, which does create a kind of fun tension to me. Uh, I mean, I play Final... I've been playing Final Fantasy XIV a lot lately, and that's a very similar feeling to playing uh, Final Fantasy XIV. Like, you've got enemies that are going to be hitting you so you need to know what you're doing before you actually do it except what you actually do in brave battle saga really doesn't matter for the most part oh i don't know i'm fighting these big trolls right now these big demons and you know it's kind of an interesting split of how do i use my magic should i be using it on this big thunderbolt spell that i bought or should i be waiting and curing myself and there's a little bit of like basically knowing am I going to get another turn in time to cure myself if both of these guys use firebolt, whatever. Um, Personally, I don't think it's served by the active time battle because, but most of the time I feel like ATB fall fails because like um, 
everybody's bar fills up relatively the same. And then maybe bosses get like two or three attacks in a row, or maybe they fill up really fast. But it's no different than just taking turns, except you have to menu quicker. And I don't like the pressure of menuing quicker. It's basically what I feel like. <laughs> I don't like the pressure of menuing quicker. I will say there's tension and like thoughtfulness about your next move because you have to do it quickly, but it just doesn't work. It doesn't add it to the experience for me other than getting frustrated when I accidentally click the wrong thing in the menu, essentially. But um, yeah, this game is like, it's very much the generic RPG. Like it's the split between do I do an attack or do I do magic? Do I heal or do I do damage? Do I use my items? It's, you know, it's fine. It does its job. So for the people that, the people that actually played it, like how, how is the actual math? How, how is, how is, uh, does it feel like, is a good math? Like the, the balance between how many battles or how many hits you can, you can take before you, before you cast cure, uh, uh, regular enemy versus boss balance. I don't know how many bosses you all managed to fight. What's strange is that I, I thought the balance was pretty good. For, like, in the respect of how much damage you take, how much damage you can deal. It, it was perhaps a little heavily weighted on the character side with a little bit more friction with from the bosses. But I was surprised because I really expected a game that was, you know, a, a, a quote-unquote bootleg, an unofficial game, to have much worse balance than this. And while the balance wasn't great it tended to be in the favor of players as opposed to being aggressively dangerous and i and it did especially in the very start of the game i i actually really started to think that i was going to enjoy it because it wasn't that deep but it had a very pleasant sort of rhythm to it that i that i enjoyed in acting the you know you get this many hits in make sure to heal make sure to go back to town and, and, and it did have like this nice feeling to it. And, and then I got to the moon temple. I'm curious, how far is the moon temple from the two, from, I just got, uh, Sherry, Cherie. Not that far. I think like 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes from there. You've got to find some butterflies in some woods, which apparently can also get you a summons, but that was the point I was like, eh, maybe I don't care about getting the butterfly summon. Maybe I'm okay. I'm not having too much difficulty with this game. Maybe I don't need any kind of super attack. Uh, and that, and then I found, oh, I found a town. There's a, there's a town, and the town's like this elaborate, actually kind of pain-in-the-ass layout uh, that's a castle and you know we get another party member and all that and then we find out bad guys are trying to find a magic artifact and we got to go to a temple and i'm like oh yeah i'm on board for this and then the temple had 800 more random battles than any part of the game up to this point and that's kind of where it lost me <laughs> too many random battles too many random battles we're all quoting the most frequently cited uh, Steam review comment, which is way too fucking many random battles. So far, I found the random battle rate to be infuriating to me, um, but I am infuriated by all random battle rates I've found. Um, so I have no system of judging whether or not this is bad. <laughs> I, well, I like, particularly what Tigress's, uh, well, sorry, particularly what Tigress's, uh, breaking point was is going into that moon temple and then watching her 
run from every battle, but running from battle into immediately another battle. Yes. I played all 400 hours of Persona 4. Like I want, <laughs> I like I want some, I want some record of what I play and have played for my enjoyment in my life. I love Dragon Quest. I love old Dragon Quest. I thought there were too many goddamn random battles in this. <laughs> it ultimately made me decide, because I was like, I'll get through the first dungeon, and I'll see how I'm feeling, because I thought that seemed like a good limit. And once I got through the first dungeon, the, the Moon Palace, I was like, you know what? I think I'm feeling like I've seen enough of this game. I've played about four hours of it, and uh, I feel like if this is going to be the cycle of the rest of the game, and I could be wrong, I'm sorry if we're wrong about this. It was just, if every dungeon is like that, I just didn't want to go any farther with it. Especially because it didn't seem like the plot was going to be anything special, which we might be a little wrong about, because we were looking up, uh, we looked up some Let's Plays uh, to figure this out, uh, which isn't that wild, because functionally for at least one of the people here it was a Let's Play. <laughs> I, I do wonder, how, like, that's, I think, the most interesting thing about the, about bootleg stuff, generally speaking, is it's a reflection of some desire for a game that you can't otherwise get or that you want more of. And and this game is a reflection of the desire to have way too, so many random battles that this game is going to take you forever to beat. It's like a time sink. It's like it's fucking... 1996 in uh, you know Taiwan and there and then Russia and we need a game that will use a lot of time and this answers that very well I think <laughs> so I that's think, my thought <laughs> and part of it part of it in the Moon Temple especially is because on up to that point you would usually have relatively wide open areas where you could kind of have some leeway to avoid enemies uh, but once you get to the Moon Temple it's just all of these super narrow walkways. But at the same time, they for some reason, even though those narrow walkways mean you're hitting enemies more often, they at least doubled the number of enemies per screen that you can run into. And this creates, yeah, a situation where you run from every fight because you overlevel very quickly if you just fight through this. Oh, yeah, and of course, to get through the palace, you gotta walk through the whole thing, you gotta press all the switches. God. And I'll say, like, a. Uh, Having the um, have having the overworld have the en the enemies you you run into and, and the enemies do not seem to have the AI they just seem to be on set routes um, and they spawn the same way every time you enter the room um, which is still quite a bit of work for the developers but uh, there there is sort of a dice roll because just it doesn't matter what the enemy looks like once it, once you go into the battle it could be anything of the set for each area. It is still, in a way, random battles, which is, again, bizarre. Yeah, that was that was one of the first things I noticed was, like, I'm running into a slime on the map, and it's a uh, flaming skull, but then I run into a flaming skull on the map, and it's a slime. I'm like, oh, uh, I, don't, I don't think they particularly care uh, about this. Uh, the developers, I mean. Map Sprite, its only real consequence is um, how fast it moves and what pattern it moves in. Because sometimes they chase you. I've run into a wolf that runs in circles, sort of. Um, but that's that's it. It can be whatever once you actually get in the battle. So 
It's weird. And there isn't even a wolf enemy. Like there's a wolf enemy. There's a wolf enemy spread on the overworld, but it will never be a wolf when it attacks you. It might be a giant pair of lips, but that's more of an aesthetic thing. An aesthetic thing, like we typically talk about in the fantasy zone. Holy shit, we're already in the fantasy zone. This is a speed run. I don't have anything more. Does anyone have anything more to say about the gameplay here? Because I no, <laughs> nah, it's kind of there, but um. You know, someone probably should have sat down with these developers and told them there was already a Mega Drive game called Battle Mania. <laughs> air horn, air horn. No, oh, wait, I do have a thing to say about this game mechanically, because this is the only way I think about games. This game lets you save anywhere, uh, which That's is very good, yeah. Um, but yeah. also dangerous for somebody like me who maintains a single save spot and could end up in a situation where I'm surrounded by enemies with like five health and I've saved and now I've broken my game entirely. So that's just something to, to mention. And as soon as you die, it, it immediately loads your last save. There's no game over screen. There's nothing. It's just like back to the last save. So it's interesting. Well, I, I also thought that was really interesting. The context of like, Oh, there's a battery save and a bootleg cartridge in 1996. Yeah. That, that raises a lot of questions. I'd love to know how these were like physically sold in that case. But okay, now the fa- now the labyrinth so- fantasy, the fantasy zone. Yeah, fantasy, fantasy zone. Now the fantasy zone. Now that we've cleared up those last little bits. Uh, here in the Fantasy Zone, we talk about the fantasy of the game, the visual and auditory fantasy world that it conjures for us, the graphics, the, the music, the sound effects, the narrative, all that good, good squishy stuff. Good drum fills. I tell you, good drum fills on the boss music. Yeah, I... I liked the music, and I liked the graphics, and I really wondered how many of them were original, because apparently not all of them are. But it was hard to notice that, because it was aesthetically, the game is very harmonious. Like, if these are, like, harvested assets from elsewhere, they were usually pretty thoughtfully chosen ones. Yeah, like, aesthetically... Oh man, this flaming skull just ran for me. That's awesome. I love when they when enemies run from you in games because you're too strong. Um, I think as, like aesthetically, this game falls into the camp of like RPG maker games almost, where like some yeah hand has crafted some original things and has stolen some very particular things and created something that is harmonious in its aesthetic. Uh, while still somehow being kind of generic, it's it's sort of fascinating in that way. I, I will I, I should credit closed with bringing up the idea that this is an RPG maker game because for some reason that didn't occur to me, but that is a very good point. <laughs> I and here's what's really funny about that: you left the stream before a lot of other folks, and I brought that up. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, no, but but closed brought it up. Wasn't there. So what I'm saying is, that's a good observation, because two people both said, this is an RPG Maker game. Well, critically in a different way, it is an RPG Maker, except they also handcrafted the battle system and walking around and 
the the opening crawl which is great looking like uh the the open the opening uh f- for for maybe it's linguistical uh linguistic problems linguistical problems yeah there you go is as professional as any other sega genesis game yeah oh yeah the, the intro is like i mean not to sound like a gamer or anything but it's fucking hype like i was i was really into this because of the intro <laughs> yeah i definitely say the game's intro is uh poggers I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. But all I can think of is pegging, so. <laughs> that That's the thing about this game, is that it's it's very cohesive, it's very tight, and feels very professional, which really impressed me about it. And And when I say it's an RPG Maker game, I don't mean like it was just a shitty asset flip. I mean this in the sense of a lot of RPG Maker games I encountered when I was sort of roving around the peripheries of the RPG Maker community, where you would get these games that, despite using pre-made assets... And again, I don't know how many of these assets are ripped. I've tried to find information about it. A lot of people say that a lot of the assets were ripped wholesale, but not a lot of articles or forum posts that I've been able to find have said exactly where. I think through playing it, some of the sprites seem to be from Seiken Densetsu 3. Was that right? Uh, yes, the, the, the trees are absolutely ripped from second incense 3 don't quote me on that i could be wrong but uh the second i saw the trees i thought second incense 3 they are at minimum heavily second incense inspired trees it's fair to say i think yes what i suspect happened with these graphics is is they probably like altered the, well they probably had to alter them somewhat because they were taking them from super nintendo and putting them onto Sega Genesis, which uses a different palette system and everything, so you'd have to do some adjustment for all of this. Even if you were just taking raw assets and, and plopping it in. That would take work. Yeah, it, it should I, I should also be clear in saying I don't mean RPG Maker game as derogatorily. It's just a very specific yeah. style. Like yeah. you can play an RPG Maker game that has got totally original assets and a change battle system. And it still has that fingerprint of RPG Maker on it, which is sort of fascinating in in and of itself. And it's almost weird that this has somehow replicated something that it didn't come from. (laughs) Well, I think the feeling we're trying to describe is enthusiastic amateur project. It does feel like enthusiastically amateur and, and, and copying the... I mean, for the time, AAA, but like for, you know, big studio style um, and, and really doing a good job of it while still having that fingerprint of amateurism, which is fascinating. Like th- this game is just distinctly playable. Like if I had yeah. ton, tons of hours to, that I just needed to burn, this would be a great e- game for that. Even though I ran up against the limit uh, for me of just the infinite random battles, it was so playable, which was what I re- was what shocked me about it. I guess that's the last category, but whatever. We're mixing everything today, as we always do. Perhaps more so. Were there any uh, particular art assets in this game that you thought were especially memorable or appealing? I can think of one that I wouldn't say is appealing, but is going to be burned into my brain for a while. Well, I can tell you that I picked up this second party member named Cherie, uh, who was I was told was just a random girl oh, right. yeah. who showed up in a uh, 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 you know an inn and then was captured. And then as soon as we got in battle, uh, she has wings and she's shooting people with a bow. And I think she 
no, that's that's a tail or that's a bow. That's not a tail. But she's definitely like got wings. What the fuck? Where did those come from? <laughs> yeah, she has like this weird succubus design. Which um, yeah, yeah. It it's it feels like one of those points of of uh of there being three different storytellings. Is there was a is there was the guy that was creating the overworld sprites. There was the the gal making the battle sprites, and then there was the theoretical what the story was going to be almost in a square enix uh, ps3 era that these three things are unrelated <laughs> i mean the assets uh one thing i think the reason she has the wings might be because a lot of the battle sprites are very reminiscent of breath of fire it could be also that i don't recognize where she's stolen from yes right and every breath of fire game has a lady who has wings and um i don't know if this was a sprite taken from it but with but it was heavily inspired by Breath of Fire aesthetically at the very, very minimum. And the fact that you almost, al- almost always the first woman you encounter or the second woman you encounter is a lady with wings. Just like real life. It is notable. And in Breath of Fire 2, she has black wings. But the sprite does look significantly different from Breath of Fire 2's character. But not, but very reminiscent. Um, yeah, I looked at the battle sprites for Breath of Fire 1 and 2. Uh, last night just to see if there was any sort of like if anything was like just straight up rip from it and uh no no they were not yeah like the battle sprites seem to be original or at least like much more significantly modified that said here is a sprite from breath of fire 2 i'm dropping into podcast chat which the listeners can hear see i mean oh my god sorry i keep getting into random battles and it's annoying me oh fuck i'm gonna die too many random battles too many random battles whatever <laughs> uh-huh that's the thing this game is really charming and then the random battles start to sit in i do know i looked up a little bit skipped around some let's plays of this game to kind of figure out where it goes and where it goes is apparently to a space station hell yes fantasy star five <laughs> i don't know i don't know anything Hey everyone, this is a dying Earth game. No shit, huh? That's a genre. Doesn't necessarily mean the Earth is actually dying, but it's a genre. It, it just means a distant future where magic and technology become increasingly intertwined and indistinguish and indistinguishable from each other. It's a very, very common uh, JRPG style game trope. Yeah, and the, and and your your theoretical goal is actually destroying the world. Or, or, or you, you, you think you're doing something good, but you're actually doing the bad thing. Yeah, you're. Di- yes, which is another classic Final Fantasy plot twist. I, I don't know too much about them, and the one thing that made me kind of want to keep playing is that you're aided at some point in the game by two AIs who both have sprites that look like Albert Einstein, like on screen. Like, they're these <laughs> big TV screens with, with Albert Einstein's face on them. And one is named Einstein, and one is named Edison. And uh, I believe you phrased it as, they seem to be a Monzai comedy duo, Rudy? <laughs> Yeah, it, well, or you know, or uh, Stadler and Wardorf, the, as in they're Waldorf, just like, they're, yeah, yeah, they're kind of they're kind of just a uh, they're they're nagging each other constantly. Yeah, um, they're both constantly yeah insulting each other. 
and but they help you. They're they're good, and they're like, ah, well, because and this is what I found interesting. Because demons are bad, of course, and the twist is actually demons aren't bad, and and the humans and the demons have to work together to stop the actual bad guy, which who's is the, on a satellite, who's on a satellite, and is an evil empire. And none of us have ever heard this story before, have we? But but it's somewhat obscure. Uh, obfuscated. I'm going to use continue using big words that I shouldn't be using. Um, that the the translation is pretty rough. Like like uh, the, there's a common thread in in or at least it's uh, it, it is it is something that was repeated six different times. Is that the original Russian translation was questionable? But um, if if this is a translation from Chinese, it's still pretty rough. And I and it's difficult to say how much of that is dealing with the original writing and how much of that is just like poor translation. Yeah, that's, that's tough. And I'm not a hundred percent sure where they, I should have looked this up, uh, where they got the current translation from. It's, it's, it is the, the, the original ROM hack translation that was on romhacking.net uh, done by, I had uh, Steve Martin was, was their screen name. They don't have a lot. They don't have a lot of information online. Uh, but, Apparently, it was licensed. Yeah. Uh, somehow, Pico... Inter- this is all Labyrinth stuff. Uh, does anyone have any more aesthetic things they'd like to... Oh, right! I was going to say what sprite I found really notable, which was this weird dude with... This weird enemy with big feet whose head was a giant pair of lips. Just giant pair of lips, arms and legs, holding a spear. Also, just a quick correction. Um it- Steve Martin was only uh, one half of the translating crew because it was actually done by two wild and crazy guys. Uh, good a joke oh. for our a joke for our grandfathers. Um. <laughs> <laughs> this is for all the uh, the boomers to us. Hello, hello, all you sixty plus out there. I attempted to return to this uh, happening with by inserting a very stupid Michael Crichton joke uh, and no one responded and I thought, well, that's appropriate. But then I thought, well, my mic has been unreliable so I reached down to uh, unplug and plug it back in. But in the process, I brushed the the power button uh, and it began to shut the computer down uh, just as Rudy was saying, I'm going to continue using uh, these these big words that I shouldn't be using, which I feel like at some level was the universe owning me. Anyway, <laughs> um, here, hi. Hi. Video games. Hi, Shrug. What's up? Was there any aspect of the game's uh, writing or graphics that you found especially notable? Uh, I liked the uh, Mortal Kombat palette swapped foliage. There, there's my contribute to the podcast. Apparently, uh, I would have liked them better in the uh, game in which it they originally appeared. I don't know what an RPG is, so I don't remember what that game was. Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the writing more, um, like uh, as the actual writing. Uh, again, we we are we are playing it in this weird uh, Rosetta Stone sort of way and, and but but actually judging this as writing I have a I had a hard time figuring out what character motivate like 
the the first part's of like such a root story, but uh, I had a ver- I have no idea what our party members' personalities are. Tim, yeah, the unlucky guy who just kind of gets shit on a lot by life. That's what I managed to take away from it. Tim is the the main character and starting character. Just, yeah, just to, just to clarify for the audience, because this is literally the first time we've brought up Tim. <laughs> Somehow. Hi, Tim. Uh, but yeah, Hi, Tim. But Hi, like Tim. the main, because like the main character, like the whole beginning of the game is like, all right, all the teenage boys have to go out into the woods and fight a tree, but don't go into the cave that's in the forest, but whatever. And so Tim, the main character, he does that. And then it gets, he gets mugged for it by like the vill- the son of the village elders. Like, no, I'm, um, the elder's my dad. My dad owns a dealership, so you can't touch me. <laughs> and then he, uh, like a fucking idiot, he goes into the Forbidden Cave and gets teleported somewhere. I don't know. I didn't get far enough to figure out where. And then the two kids he's with are like, oh no, Tim literally killed him. And then Tim gets blamed for it and kicked out of the village. So that his character is that like wrong place, wrong time. All because he was the only one with the courage to try to descend into the primal uh, womb matrix of the earth. But he doesn't. Uh, well, he, he, he wanted to, though. He, he was going to try. and uh, So uh, by not doing it, that was just the refusal of the call by proxy. Classic. <laughs> um, everyone else, everyone else was going to stay uh, up on the surface uh, fighting trees uh, A.K. phalluses uh, remaining in the world, the isolated <laughs> world of. Uh, well, I saw that tree. I can't deny it looked like a phallus. Purely uh, masculine uh, uh, youth, uh, uh, just uh, just dudes being dudes, hanging out, uh, unable to uh, progress to the next stage of uh, maturity, which. Uh, involves, uh, uh, you know, you got to get down into that hole. Uh, but our hero, Tim, hi, Tim, uh, tried tried to get in that hole. But he didn't. He was punished. He very, he very explicitly did not want to go in the hole. It was the other people who bullied him who went in the hole and wanted to go in the hole. The hero was well, a good boy and didn't go in the hole. Yeah, well, he actually went in the hole because someone because he thought someone had fallen into the hole and he was trying to do the brave thing to rescue. Well, so he did refuse the call of the hole as any classic hero on uh, their mono mythic journey would. And then hearing uh, somebody else facing the peril of hole tried to tried to help them, uh, tried to give them a buddy boost. Tried to give them a little of that grassroots movement to help them through their whole experience. <laughs> um, it all makes sense when viewed from yeah. a structural level. Like I wanted to say, one of my favorite, like it did actually make me laugh. The translation made me laugh, and again, the translation is real rough. But like that, it's that it's like it is forbidden to go in the forbidden cave and do not go, and <laughs> you should not, you should expressly not go in it. It was, it was. Line was long that, and I thought that was really funny to, to have one of those A is A sentences. The forbidden cave is forbidden. Forbidden. Why is the forbidden cave forbidden? It well, just is. Says forbidden. the game. 
It's in the fucking name, Tim. Tim, sit down. <laughs> Don't go to the Forbidden Cave. It's forbidden. That's really the problem is that it's just idiots like Tim who don't understand words. Tim didn't go into the cave until other people were endangering themselves by going into the cave. Uh, so, so the... The other question I wanted to ask for the people that actually played it versus me, who um, only only like sat on the couch and went, too many random battles, huh? Uh, <laughs> what, was, you did how, watch me play a lot of it. Battles. Too many you random battles, me, huh? I, I want to be clear. You watched me play a lot of it, and the experience of watching someone else play this game versus actually playing it is not that significantly different. Well, well, here's why I know. Here's why I want to know what is different. Um. So the towns you visited, how much world building was there in the various townspeople and the visuals of the town? Like, how much did you feel a, feel a world in that? Aesthetically, they felt surprised. Like, they, they were distinctive. Like, they're distinctive, they're memorable, and I have absolutely no idea how they would function as a society. Because the world appears to be one long forest tube that snakes around that you just walk through to get to the next town. One long forest tube. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no wonder some versions of this game were released with the uh, cover art of Final Fantasy X. Owned. Tetsuya Nomura. Fuck you. I give my computer the finger. That's why I think you Nomura. I like that your role in this, Ramona, is to make the subtext text. <laughs> I know authors who use subtext, and they're all cowards. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what? I'm going to quote this game. All right? Yeah, you know what? I'm going to quote this game. This is a line from the game. Uh, More trash for the garbage, huh? Go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Also, oh, shit. Yeah. Also, the mayor of the second town kept a uh, child locked in his basement. Yeah, by the way, that's like your the first party member you get other than Tim is a girl that the mayor kidnapped, and you're like, oh, let her go. And he's like, no, other, they'll kill my daughter, but maybe we could rescue her after the demons take her. And Tim's like, sure, sounds like a great plan. Like, what the fuck? And that's the girl with wings. And then she was crying, and Tim's like, I don't care about girls crying. Do you ever figure out why she has wings? Well, I think from the later con from from watching the ending, it, there's some context of like there are humans and demons. Demons, yeah. And so she she's probably a demon. She's but... probably well. She was looking for her parents, so I suspect she's like half human, half demon. That's my suspicion. I don't know though. I'm sorry. I know this is incredibly unprofessional. We've played more of this game than some podcasts have. I just say the opening is this world was once brought together was once a civilization civilization brought together by magic and technology as civilization advanced those who possessed the power of technology and magic segregated due to their differences in ideas and formed two separate societies of humans and demons I was just going to say I think the girl got her wings from drinking a six pack of red bull god damn it <laughs> god if you damn do, it if you do the whole sixer at once they do become permanent um, there were been multiple double-blind studies that proved this. The science behind Red Bull is currently better established than the science behind COVID-19. 
She fucking shotgun that shit like uh, Steve Austin drinks his beer. Did we talk about how the battle music has like, and, and Bachelor brought this up, has like eight bars of, of dramatic intro, and then you usually finish the battle before that's over, so that's really all you hear is the dramatic <laughs> intro? <laughs> It's fucking irritating, <laughs> but I like the music. I like the music. It's it's chill. It you know it's it it's it sounds a lot the same as the sort of Genesis music I would have like ten years ago been like oh it sucks, um, but I don't know it's chill. It's fine. It does its job. Everything about this game it does its job. This game does its job. God damn it! It's not lazy. <laughs> Except when there's too many random battles. Anyway. I think somebody said something about garbage, and I think the garbage went down a garbage chute into a labyrinth, and oh no, we're slipping down, and we're now in the labyrinth zone! I'm covered in garbage, I hate this. Here in the labyrinth zone... Look uh, out for dialects. What? I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's a Star Wars reference. Okay. Uh, oh, that's why I don't oh, get it. Oh, 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 like a, like the Dianaga. Uh, I thought those were the phallic robots from Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> I get I get confused sometimes when I'm when it's late and I'm looking at uh, a website I shouldn't be looking at. DalexGoneWild.com. I stepped on I stepped on Tigress's hosting. <laughs> <laughs> Here in Labyrinth Zone, we discuss uh, meta stuff about the game. That's the um, traditional definition of meta, where we talk about um, the context of the game, which we've discussed a little bit, uh, tidbits about the game, cultural stuff that popped up about the game, uh, that kind of thing. Not necessarily a thing in the game, but stuff about the game, and peripheral to the game. And, uh... I think you had something about the language here, Rudy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I've got two points. I, I guess I'll try and combine them. Um, uh, f- first off, uh, that we played a, a uh, an, an English translation of a Taiwanese game that, uh, that seemed to have some popularity from a very rough Russian translation. And I, I, w- I, was, start- I was trying to think about the sort of rough and and slapshot uh, method of the of the story and delivery, and I was wondering how much of that was because uh, this is so much of an um, homage to NES JRPGs, and like so, how much of that was the fact that probably the, the these kids in Taiwan, these 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 young adults in Taiwan that programmed this game, played Final Fantasy, the the Famicom Final Fantasies, blind. In, in Japanese and the and kanji would not help you because those games didn't even have kanji they were all in uh, katagan hiragana so you wouldn't have any context you just it, it, it is almost like um picking out like making your own story because you don't understand the language and then like half writing that down and it maybe it creates more of a mood than I thought it did yeah I mean that's very similar to what um, the director of uh, of the souls series uh Hidetaka Miyazaki. Hidetaka Miyazaki, yeah. Um said 
the writing in Demon Souls and Dark Souls was inspired by sort of understanding English, like understanding a bit of English and reading untranslated English fantasy novels and getting drips and drabs, but not understanding everything and trying to put together what was going on from these fragments. I like that we're talking about Dark Souls. We never do that on these podcasts. <laughs> I'm not making fun of you. I think that's really a, a very interesting comparison. I like the idea of somebody making a, a game or writing a book or whatever based on like an, a, an unformed impression a not fully formed impression of something simply because they didn't have the tools to understand it at that time. Like that's awesome. Like that's such a cool concept. Yeah. And the fact that dark souls could codify that. And this is something that almost seemingly, maybe we don't know the full story, but accidentally did that kind of thing where it's like, these are the broad strokes of a JRPG at the time. And we're recreating them, even though we don't know the fine details. Like that's super cool. Yeah. And that's what I want to compare it specifically to games that are critically acclaimed and beloved. Like, that's neat, and it's a very valid way of approaching stuff. Like, I'm forming the idea more in my head. Like, oh, they, they go, okay, you have this starting town, and then you have to go to a second town, and that, in that second town, you beat your second party member. And they know that much of the story. Like, like almost like they're retelling, they're retelling the story. They're retelling their own story. Like, they know this is what happens in a JRPG. So, but I don't, I've never understood what the context for that is. And the girl getting like kidnapped, that's that's almost that's very, very common as as the first one of the as like a, a girl who is is falsely accused of something or you need to rescue her and then she becomes a party member. That's a very common trope, too, that you could get through, um, you know, the, the the sort of limited lens of it. I wish we had more information about the development of this game, because that would interest me probably more than the game itself i'm i'm sorry people who worked really hard on this well no i mean it's a you know it's a 24 year old game like it's a bootleg it it, it was a passion project that was also a product um and so i think the idea of the development being more interesting the game is not necessarily <laughs> insulting because this was you know an almost amateur game made i don't know it's just it i i agree i think that the development of this game would be more interesting than the actual game itself. Oh, I changed my 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 key. Uh <laughs> What, what, well, to bring us back to Braver Battle Saga uh, and, and the experience of which we played it, uh, I, I kind of wanted to talk about the idea of criticism and review um, that uh, we didn't finish this game. Uh, did we need to have finished this game to, to speak critically on it? Is, is that, I mean, I think we all have an answer to that, that our criticism is valid, but, you know, like, uh, wider gamer theory is that you have to beat the game to have any, like, you know, oh, I played this game for 30 hours, but I haven't finished it, so I can't, I don't know what to think yet. I, w I would say that any criticism I give of anything is invalid based upon the fact that I don't think before I speak. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that's my thoughts. This one I feel complicated about because more than a lot of games that I've played a slice of, 
I'm a little concerned that the game could immediately... Like, as unpredictable as this game is, there is a little part of me that is genuinely afraid that if I went back and played a little longer, maybe that one segment of the game I'm in was the worst one, and I could, and it would be a lot better later on. That's a concern I have personally. But at the same time, I also had to evaluate up to the point I got. And I was like, do I want to play this more? What are the logistics of playing this more? I have other things to do with my life besides spend allegedly 40 hours. I don't think this game is 40 hours long. uh, Trying to just find everything. And sometimes I feel compelled to go above and beyond with this, but... I just kind of felt like I got the gist, and since it didn't seem like stuff was getting deeper at that point, I just figured it, it probably was going to be just different densities of random battles from there on out. And I do kind of wish I could have played more of it in a lot of ways, because I wanted... I, I was intrigued to see where its it, its story was was going to end up, and how it would approach... It's it's tropes. But yeah, I, I just found myself puzzling through this. Do I want to play more of this? And the answer is no, and I have to evaluate it on that respect. And I think that there can be a critical statement made there. Because if I was playing this by myself, I probably would have given up there too. And that's a legitimate evaluation. I feel bad about it in this context because there's not super high quality information about it and i like being a source of rel- of high quality information as even you know although we've had stumbles in the past and we'll have stumbles in the future i i do wish we could be very comprehensive about this but i also have a life yeah i think like my re- my real answer of course is that i think criticism is always it's always important to have context for who the critic is and how they approached the uh the piece in this case uh uh, you know, whatever, an RPG. Um, that's kind of important. And, you know, we've always been pretty clear about how much we play of games. Like, you know, these are games that other people aren't playing and anything is better than nothing is generally yeah. how we feel about that. But yeah, you know, and we're also not making definitive statements here. We're not saying like, oh yeah, you should buy this game. No, you should rent it. You know, like it doesn't matter. We're not here to tell people whether something is good or bad. Generally, we're here to ruminate on something that other people don't talk about. So the the purpose of our criticism is to do that, generally speaking. So, you know, I, I think context and purpose are important in criticism. And finishing the game is not our goal. We're not here to provide, you know, a detailed overview of something we're certainly not doing consumer reports i think like you already said most of what i would want to say uh, uh, in broad strokes i don't think there is an ideal form of criticism because there's not an ideal form of anything hi it's me i'm shrug and so long as uh so long as the person presenting the criticism is transparent about uh, their experience and what uh, you know where they are coming from, what happened, you have to evaluate everything on a case by case basis. In the case of Brave Battle Saga, I spent more time trying to 
convince a uh, uh, 8BitDo M32.4G controller that uh, I bought because it was a flash sale to work uh, consistently with RetroArch on a Windows 10 PC than I did. We're calling you out, Gates. Yeah, than I did. Uh, well, it's really only supposed to consistently work on a uh, Genesis Mini, which I don't have, it turns out. I really should have gotten the Bluetooth version. There are people giving consi- inconsistent uh, uh, reports and whether or not you can make it work with other things. It's uh, kind of a mess. Oh, well, people make mistakes in life. I make a lot of mistakes in life. I spent more time doing that than I did actually playing the game. I spent a lot of time uh, watching Tigris playing. Um, and I'm not going to... Uh, obvious, obviously, I was gone for long stretches of this because my cat threw up on the bed. Um, but I'm not going to attempt to... Throw up. <laughs> yeah, that's extremely wonderful. I'm not going to, like, say, here's my uh, comprehensive analysis of uh, uh, this game as a piece of narrative, because uh, I have not experienced the narrative. I'm not going to try to cover things about it that... Uh, I don't know, haven't experienced, whatever. But if you you can take the slice that you have experienced, and so long as you stick to that and don't move out of that space, you know, you don't have to finish something. It's just a matter of um, the scope of your commentary kind of defines what you actually have to have uh, done with the thing experienced or engaged with in the thing that you are uh, criticizing. In conclusion, uh, games critics uh, are terrible to video games and um, these reviews are farm fresh. Please source video game reviews free range. I'm allowed out into my yard anytime I want to go. And, and I still do reviews. Uh, and and they're, they taste it's been very true of this episode, mm-hmm. especially. I wanted to talk about a concept in my brain about like the, 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 um, Oh damn it. The context of criticism. What I find fascinating is stuff like I described to my mom, right? I showed, pictures of Pokemon to my mom and told her to name them or something like that. Um, which is, you know, it's a Buzzfeed article or whatever, but like that kind of stuff is also super interesting as criticism because it's like you like these outsider perspectives of like, what the fuck is going on in this game? I don't understand it. Like, this is really weird. I played an hour of this game and I came away completely baffled. Uh, but it did remind me of X, Y, or Z outside of the gaming sphere, um, are totally relevant to like how people perceive games, how the outside world perceives games and like that kind of stuff. So this idea that you have to finish a game to provide relevant criticism is completely undermined by the fact that somebody who has never really played any games can provide relevant criticism to games. Like they provide a fresh perspective. So that was just a thought I had. Back before uh, the late unpleasantness when I was um, semi-regularly going over to uh, my sister's place to play uh, Breath of the Wild with my nephews, very slowly um, working my way from a like, beginning file. 
while they raced ahead of me. They're allowed like 45 minutes a day with their switch individually. And so I would come and I would take a turn. I get 45 minutes. Breath of the Wild obviously has an expansion of lots of Zelda tropes, but also lots of like uh, open world uh, vacuum cleaner, uh, Ubisoft type uh, game stuff. But mostly like with a lot of the annoying craft knocked off of it. And everyone knows this. It's not really worth explicating. But when I encountered things in my blind from the start playthrough, I don't spend a lot of time like looking at big, notable uh, AAA series franchise games that I don't uh, play. And I didn't have a Switch until pretty recently. I would use a sort of like in-group vocabulary to describe the things that were happening within the game. Like I got to the first tower where you do the Ubisoft thing and I just naturally called it, oh, it's an Ubisoft tower. And my nephews and my brother-in-law were like, what? I'm like, I don't, how do I, how do I explain that? And these things kept coming up of, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that, I'm going to, and it's just, there's all this shorthand where I naturally said, because, hey, I, I did play Ocarina of Time. I kept saying Z-targeting for doing a lock-on. It meant nothing to anybody except me in the room. I don't know that this is going anywhere, really. But I enjoyed it, though. <laughs> yeah. There's just all this context and culture and cruft that if you've been doing this stuff for so long... We have like bolted onto ourselves and you don't really realize or you may not really recognize all of it until you actually have to communicate about this stuff to somebody that is a uh, 58 year old. Like my brother-in-law who hasn't played a game since Pong or my uh, 12 and 9 year old nephews who only know about games from their similarly aged neighbors, you know. Right, like context is everything in this stuff, and even language betrays context. And and it's weird, too, because like if somebody said, I read the first half of this book, and I dropped it, and here's my uh, big review about this book, I'd be a bit annoyed, because I'm like, it's just finish the book. But I think that's a bit of like a time differential, too. It's like, even the longest book is done long before the longest game you know like so there's there's a bit of like you know maybe it is hypocritical of me i expect you to finish watching the movie if you're going to review the movie um i don't necessarily expect you to finish playing the game if you're going to review the game so i i don't know i think if someone like an as somebody who is prone to saying i got to this point in this thing usually i hope it comes across in sort of a self-mocking way um, but not always. Um, I got to X point and X media and I could not take Y anymore. I think like, there's a structural difference though. Yeah. Movies are meant theoretically to be watched in one sitting. Um, where, where books, video games, uh, television is, is a much longer form experience and, and, uh, and choosing to stop and versus not picking it up are, uh, well, are, two different forms of a critical result. Like, oh, I, I read half of this and reviewed it versus, oh, I got through about halfway through and I wanted to stop and I never picked it up again. 
I will say that that my review of House of a Thousand Corpses is that I watched 15 minutes of it and I hated every second of it and turned it off. And I think that that is perfectly valid criticism. So maybe I don't even think that. I'm just thinking about somebody like Roger Ebert. Yeah. <laughs> so now that difference. we're talking about that, I I absolutely like was watching the movie VHS too, and I was like, okay, I get it. This is bullshit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So long as you're transparent about where you're coming from, then I don't think that. Like really, any criticism is invalid. Like, if if Rudy gets to the end of the book of the New Sun and says, "Yep, I don't, I don't fucking get it, assholes. Why do you like this?" I'm not gonna say, "Fuck you. You have to read it again. Read all four books now that you have all four books behind you. Only then can you judge this extremely long work of fiction. Like your experience is your experience, and so long as you're like transparent about your experience, you know, just don't say, uh, I'm going, just tell people that you only read half the book and say, tell people that you only, uh, played 15 minutes of the game, but you feel like you got the core mechanics and, uh, they were like a Brillo pad on your brain. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> a Brillo pad on your brain. I have to use that more. Just don't claim to be exhaustive in an area where you have not exhausted material. I do think too, it's interesting. Like the book of the new sun example is great too, because a lot of people are going to say, well, you didn't get to the real Diablo because you didn't go on nightmare mode. So it's like, even the question of finishing a game isn't as cut and dry as it sounds like, <laughs> like even if I beat the story mode, there's extra content Did I beat the extra content. Even if I beat the extra content, I didn't do new game. Plus I didn't play the multiplayer for 40 hours. You know, like what's the, where where is the line? So even so, if you can't even properly define finishing a game, then saying a criticism is invalid because you didn't finish it is pretty uh, whack. So yeah, and speaking of critical evaluation, we are going into the Death Egg Zone. In the Death Egg Zone, I ask everyone assembled to take a moment for themselves and describe how they felt about the game. They're uninterrupted, but, you know, succinct, ideally, thoughts <laughs> about how they felt about the game and evaluate it by, thanks to some feedback, we're changing one of the number, we're changing the number here, of five blue seeds stolen from an evil tree and then subsequently stolen from Tim. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so we're reviewing uh, Brave Battle Saga Legend of the Magic Warrior? Yes. Oh, that's we're, what we were, were supposed reviewing... to be playing? Shit. <laughs> you were actually... Oh, shit. Did you actually play Final <laughs> Fantasy? <laughs> I did. I think I was playing Final Fantasy. This explains a lot because Kefka was there and I thought... I was like, isn't Kefka like a... I... Okay, well, I'm just going to have to take everything I said back. Um, I think that means you're up, Kenya. Okay, I'll go. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, I played like two hours of this game, and like, 
I don't know, I was charmed enough by it, but I'm not, I'm probably a bad person to talk about a JRPG in general, because I don't generally like them. <laughs> there, I, I can count on one hand the number of JRPGs I've finished. So it's, you know, taking that into account, I felt the same about this as I do any other mid-budget uh, RPG. It seems to get the job done if I needed to have a game to just grind for up to potentially 40 hours. Uh, this would be a perfectly fine way to do that. Uh, as it stands, I don't have any real need for it. The story sounds like it goes places, but I'm not willing to put myself through uh, the hours of tedium to me and do it. But it was charming enough, and I could see how somebody would enjoy it. I could certainly see how you would enjoy this game uh, if, if, if you had a lack of other games. If you were itching for another Final Fantasy and they just weren't coming to your country or they weren't coming out or they weren't in the language that you understood, uh, this would be a perfectly reasonable substitute for it. So that's my feeling on it. So I would give it uh, two and a half out of five. Uh, what was it? Blue seeds stolen from an evil tree and subsequently stolen from Tim. Two, two, two and a half out of five of those. Uh, give it a, give it a three. It's very middle of the road. It's not the best game I have played, but neither is it the worst. Um, which probably damns it a little bit because it's not especially memorable as a result. But I guess that's just the fate of video games. Sometimes is the worst thing you could be is unmemorable. And unfortunately, I think that's where Braver Battle Saga uh, ends up falling into. Yes, it's time for me. Hi, I'm Rudy. I'm going to review Brave Battle Saga now. The way I've reviewed pod uh, games, uh, the way I review podcasts, um, the way I review games <laughs> on this uh, in this project has been how I feel when I just pop it in and play it without without cost or concern that I, I just have the opportunity now to play this game. And, uh, and, and also like the value I've gotten from this conversation. And I think this conversation has been very valuable to me, but the, the game is, is again, it's too many random battles. The story didn't make me think, I think this, that we've, we've said before that the, 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 the aura around the game is more interesting than the game itself. It is like the triple reflection of a culture. But all of that's outside of the game. The game uh, is too many random battles, um, and I, I feel like that's that's just like it's just a it's a one stolen blue seed. There, there is you you don't gain or lose anything by playing it or not playing it. It, it is it is such a generic. I don't I don't want to say generic product, but it it is such a non-entity. It is such a inessential, and I mean that in the best way possible. It is inessential to be played that I have played it or I have not played it has made no, no impact on my, on my appreciation of culture and how I examine a sunrise. So one out of five stolen blue seeds from an evil tree. Hi, I'm shrug. I only briefly actually played the game cards on the table. I watched a lot of the game. I looked at those pretty leaves a lot. Those are nice. I spent a lot of time trying to get this very kinesthetically satisfying controller to work and it never worked but the buttons are really nice to push sitting <laughs> here pushing them and that is nice so in a way you could say that this game facilitated my pushing these buttons over and over again uh, a bittersweet uh, experience but still in its way satisfying also as i watched uh, the endless parade of, of battles 
happening across uh, uh, my Discord uh, window, uh, I thought, wow, this is uh, even uh, more of a faster encounter rate than freaking Skies of Arcadia, Dreamcast, 2000, whatever. And then I thought, but you don't have the drive load sound. You're not going to like develop a, a like PTSD trigger flinch at the sound. I read the sound of, of the, 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 the drive access sound of the uh, Dreamcast. Uh, I can make that joke because I have PTSD. Don't worry about it, everyone. <laughs> uh, so it has that on Skies of Arcadia, which is otherwise probably a lot more charming and satisfying than this game. Uh, there's a monster in it that is basically a wobbly dick made out of water. Two out of five blue seeds. Yeah, I guess it falls to me to say what I said. Yeah, I, I played this game possibly more than anyone else from the sound of it. It initially charmed me, and I was like, even though this is a little bit of a nothing, it's a very pleasant nothing. And uh, quickly, very quickly after I got fa- got to the Lunar temple it immediately lost me i you know almost breaking down from all of the random battles it just would not stop there was nothing noteworthy about the fight the most notable thing about it was that there was one enemy type that seemed to make it harder to run away and running away most of the time was faster than going through the fight. Unless, of course, you failed to run away, in which case it would be slower. It's a slot machine of time, and not a very fun one. And I really, really, really wanted to root for this game. I really, really wanted to cheer for this game, because I just wanted... I've heard people say it's one of the best... Some people claim it to be one of the best RPGs of the Sega Genesis. Uh, These people have not played an RPG on the Sega Genesis. I can tell you that. <laughs> I don't think those people even know what electricity is. Yeah, I'm skeptical too, except for the fact that they had Steam reviews. Steam reviews aren't really written. They just sort of spawn. It just shrieks from the void. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Although I am thinking about Amish Steam reviews being submitted like by letter. Actual uh, Steam. By a person. Yeah, by a Steam. Yes, yeah. Amish Steampunk. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I, I'm going to be a little bit more generous because I did have a very pleasant experience for the first half of my time with the game. I guess it wasn't even a half. It was like maybe a quarter, and that quarter was enough to put me off the rest of it. But because of the pleasantness of it, I'm giving it one seed. I'm giving it two seeds. One seed for the pleasantness and and the second seed for the ingenuity May in in producing this game and releasing it, and that's all it's getting because I honestly, I'm gonna forget about this game probably um, as soon almost as soon as I'm finished editing this podcast. It just wasn't much of anything, and it still was probably the best game to vote on. I think I imagine the nightmare of trying to review a Genesis. Adventure game that was from a download surface. Anyway, Pocahontas? at least that one had <laughs> stuff we could talk about. <laughs> anyway, that was the game, uh, and that was our that was our thoughts on the game. I cannot believe I was the most generous to this game. I'm usually not. I feel like 
Maybe I am. I yeah, don't know. I don't I, know myself. I broke my streak of of liking stuff the most, and I think I didn't eat, I think I actually... The odd thing is, I did think I liked this game more than anyone else, and I still couldn't bring myself to br- give it three. Like, part of me is like, three. It's like, no, I really can't give this three. Because if it was three, I'd probably kind of think I wanted to play more of it, and I don't. I think that, like, it's very... Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Because, like... I think that if I'd gotten to the same point you had and it made me, it would have made me absolutely furious. Um, it would have been like a one star game to me. A one seed, sorry. One is like utterly reprehensibly irredeemable to me, right? Oh, see, that's zero. Maybe that's the difference. I start from zero. Oh, I, start, I start from one because I like each of the numbers being their own siloed thing. Oh, okay. So this one means it. something, two means something, three means something, four means something. That's why I was convinced to go with five. Because it really expresses how you feel. And, like, to me, a three would be something I'd check out. And I don't really think it's worth checking out. Uh, So that's why it's two. Two is not other garbage, but also not really worth worth bringing up. That's my thought. That's my game score discourse, everyone. Put that shit on Metacritic. Uh, Book of Mega Drive seed review. Our podcast has been canceled. We gave Zelda an eight point eight. <laughs> <laughs> Those Mega Drivers added again. That concludes our our discussion of the pot of a game where I think almost half of our running time was discussing an abstract but fascinating question about criticism <laughs> instead of the game itself. In in usual classic awkward book of Mega Drive fashion, we've come to the end of the episode and there's an important question where can we find all of you hi i'm shrug i was not present for much of this i uh had very little to actually say about a video game uh i'm at shrugopolis on twitter i have baby tabletop games on uh dot zone that's what it is I own that domain for a reason, I'm sure. I'm on uh, No Rangers Allowed. I'm sure on the forums. I'm on the other thing on this feed. Probably all of it. Please send help. Hi, I'm Rudy. If you like these video game thoughts, you can find more video game thoughts on hingeproblems.com. It's a podcast. I've just released, also released an essay about the GP32 and my experience uh, trying to find a smart media card. That sounds interesting. I think you should read it. It was interesting. You should read it. Hi, I'm Ramona. Uh, you can find me on my website, uh, lonelyfrontier.net, that has all of my contact info, and you can also see uh, what I am doing at the moment. Uh, it is mostly just playing video games and watching YouTube channels about trains. Sounds ideal. I am... Uh, Kania. You can find me on the select button.net forums as Vasilcania. You can find me on Twitter as It's Kania. I, there might, there's no underscore there. I just, just remembered there's not. Uh, and you can find all the information about the, uh, the, the podcast, which you're probably subscribed to, the Super Nintendo Exploration Squad that I occasionally run, uh, at snes.club, snes.club, yo. Uh, that's it for me. Yes. I have a YouTube channel. That someone just subscribed to and I don't know who they are I don't know how they found me and then they left a comment about doing thanks for a series that I never finished so um, if you find that congrats 
It's like an Easter egg. Hi, I'm Automatic Tigress. You can find me on Twitter as at Automatic Tiger. My SEO is hell. Uh, you can find me on the forums, the select button forums, at Automatic Tiger. There too. That's where I am most places. And you can check out automatictiger.itch.io to download a tabletop RPG about giant robots I made called What's So Cool About Super Robot? It may be a basically incomplete ash can of a game, but I still think it's pretty neat. You can find out more about this podcast, The Book of Mega Drive, at Book of Mega Drive, which, uh, which should be, which is cool. It's a very, at Book of Mega Drive on Twitter, it is very rarely updated because I literally have attention deficit disorder and feel awkward about bothering people. But we have updates about the podcast and what we're doing on there. It's also the place that you vote for our next game well not our next game but the game after the next game because the next game it's a mega driver's choice and that mega driver's choice is stavkov's choice and that choice is alicia dragoon finally a good game and you already and you already know that because that's not a secret because due to our like two steps ahead process uh, you already know that but i'm very excited about it very very excited about it because god I need a game that's fun and also has stuff to talk about for an episode. That's the prequel to Near Automata, right? No, it's the sequel. That's to... my dumb joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's the se- sequel to it's the sequel to Legend of Dragoon. Oh, okay. Is it in the uh, the same MCU as Panzer Dragoon? <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. Let's go for let's 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 say it is. I'm so glad that Stan Stanley created the notion of a shared media universe. <laughs> but after that episode, it's going to be a vote for their next game. I love the tutorial process. The three games we're voting on are The Adams Family. Oh, fuck. Evander Hoyfield's Real Deal Boxing? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's and... the one with the Adams Family in it. Seriously? No. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, the one I I think at least one of our our panelists, Mega Drivers, whatever our term is, is uh, is will be rooting hard for is Beavis and Butthead. Oh my god! If you're trying to subtweet me, you failed because I hate that game. You hate celebrity boxing. Celebrity <laughs> boxing. No, I yeah, like I the th- fucking Adams Family games. Those games are so fucking weird. Isn't that like the one that's like very um like that's like the the open world one almost like it's very like ZX Spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so because there I played. Oh God, not Fester's Quest. There's another platformery one. Uh, I think also made by Ocean that I played on the Game Boy. That was just like this weird bullshit like rooms linking to other rooms and then back again in different ways like all sorts of doors leading to the same exact place like very fucking weird so side scroller that... yeah side scroller guess what that's a port guess what it's a port of is it this yep sweet that's what i want yeah two more versions <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i think that's the one i played it's interesting i actually 
of the games there, I, I think that they're... I think there's interesting things to talk about with all of them. At the very least, with Beavis and Butthead episode, we can just watch some Beavis and Butthead, uh, which I would be down for, personally. I don't know what that says about me as a person. You c- you can feel free to evaluate that audience. And, uh, and playing a sports game. Sports games just don't get coverage. And the Genesis had a lot of boxing games, actually. That's a weird thing about the Genesis. But it had an unusually large number of boxing games. Well, I will simply be comparing it to Super Punch Out, so maybe, maybe, maybe pick that one. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know. I think all of these are going to be awkward, but I think they're also all going to be fun cast to play, and also ones that I don't feel too bad about only sinking an hour into a piece. <laughs> Sorry for peeking behind the curtain about the the process here, the process that's completely transparent, and that I I only ask people to play an hour. <laughs> You said behind. (laughs) 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 Something, something cornholio. Bunghole. Hoarding all the TP from my bunghole. Daria. (laughs) Uh, It was a Daria game too, but it wasn't very good. Is it better or worse than this, this Beavis and Butthead game? Oh, it's like, it's fucking, it might as well be fucking Final Fantasy VII by comparison. So Final Fantasy VII compared to Brave Battle Saga. Yeah, I mean, if we do Beavis and Butthead, you're gonna you're gonna get me talking about my immense childhood disappointment when I finally played it. I mean, that's human interest. That's great. I want to hear that story if we do that podcast. Well, then uh, I guess the gamers are gonna have to vote for it, or else uh, I'll have to find something to talk about with the Adams family other than Raul Julia being M. Bison or talking about Evander Holyfield without, you know, finding something else to talk about other than him getting his ear bitten off by Mike Tyson. <laughs> Wait, that's the guy who got his ear bitten off by Mike Tyson? Yeah, Evander Holyfield. Jesus Christ. All of these are going to be fascinating episodes. Maybe we can lure Bachelor on Adam's family, because I know Bachelor I think Bachelor likes the original comics a lot, or at least has respect for them. As always, with our usual sign off of we don't have a sign off, thank you for listening to the Book of Mega Drive. I uh I hope you all come back next episode, which hopefully will be coming out regularly again. Uh that's the hope and hopefully that won't sound really funny when you hear this uh because it took like a year for this episode to come out after the last one or something like that i don't think it will though bye (laughs) Bye. listen to heavy metal music and lie to your parents We pull it through. We're a crack team. We're a crack team of elite aces. Troubleshooters. <laughs> we found a way. Operators. We're operators. Operators of podcasting. Mm-hmm. Slicing the pie. Operating operationally. Optimal operations operationally. <laughs> at the is opera. This, Six? this is also not going to be in the podcast. But anyway. What is going to be in the podcast? What is going to be in the podcast? Uh, Nothing's going to be in the podcast. You're just going to listen to two hours of dead air. (laughs) 
If I have my way, we'll listen to three hours of dead air with a single piercing scream at the end, and we'll call it art, and we'll make a million dollars. Music